Well, thank you very much, everyone, for your welcome. It's great to be here. Um, when we were here last year, it was just a couple of weeks before the building opened, so it's been fantastic to see your wonderful new building uh, and to hear about the uh, new things that are going on here. And I'm sure these are uh, exciting and challenging times for you uh, as a church uh, community here in Caterham at this uh, time. Uh, as Dave mentioned, my uh, relationship with O'Core goes back a long, long time, over 30 years actually. Uh, as a student at uh, what was then called London Bible College, it's now called London School of Theology, uh, I used to spend some time in the summers uh, as a speaker on the uh, expeditions, and that was an important part, actually, of my ministry training, alongside my theological study, to be speaking and learning a little bit about pastoral work along the way as we uh, interacted with those uh, young people on those expeditions all the way back there 30 years ago. And then Judy invited me to come and speak at the uh, evening service on one Sunday, and I've kind of been coming ever since, really. Uh, And our relationship is uh, a close one with Rosalind and Jeff. You may know that Rosalyn, Sue, and I went to the same church in Cardiff for a number of years, and we uh, were involved in the youth and children's ministry and the worship, and uh, those, again, were really important times of training and equipping for me in terms of what I was going to be called to do as a, as a pastor of a, a local church. And uh, for the last 20 years, that's really what we've been doing. Uh, we're part of the leadership team at, of uh, St. John's Church Duckinfield in Greater Manchester. And uh, we've been uh, part of that team now all that time. And it's been a really exciting period of, uh, of our lives as we've invested those 20 years into that small community and into that church and everything uh, along the way. But it's a a real joy to be back here again and uh, to have the opportunity to share uh, God's word with you. So you're going through a series in 1 Peter, and we come to 1 Peter chapter 5 this evening, and that's going to be our reading. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 1 through to 5. If you've got a a Bible, you might want to turn there. There's also a a sheet on your table, which has the reading on one side, and just a a brief outline of some of the things I want to share with you tonight, and then at the end, some questions for discussion. But let's uh, read that passage first of all. 1 Peter 5, 1 to 5. The title I've been given is Humble Shepherds of the Flock. And so this is a passage about leadership in the community of God's people. 1 Peter 5, 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So in this passage, Peter envisages the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep in a very special way. 
Now, when he was doing a course, he was picking up an image that is used throughout the Bible. Most famously, of course, in Psalm 23, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. So David there is talking about a personal relationship that he had with God of the Lord being his shepherd. And that's one of the relationships that recurs throughout the Old Testament, where people could say, the Lord is my shepherd. Speaking about people who've come to know the saving grace, the care uh, and the power of God at work in their lives. But in the Old Testament, sheep shepherd was also used to express the relationship between the community of God's people, the people of Israel, and their human leaders. Those leaders were called to be shepherds of the flock of God's people. Shepherds to the sheep. And at times that worked well. As an example there on the handout I put about David. It says in Psalm 78 verse 72. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands he led them. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what a shepherding relationship with a group of people can mean? And the impact it can have on their lives. If we lead with integrity of heart and skillful hands, then we will be those shepherds that God has called us to be. But sadly, when you read the Old Testament, that was not always the case. And on many occasions, the prophets had to say, in response to all the bad things that were happening in Israel... But one of the reasons for that was a failure of the leadership. A failure of those who were appointed to leadership to be good shepherds of the sheep. And so when we get to the New Testament, this image of shepherds and sheep has all sorts of nuances and all sorts of applications. And when it comes to leadership... As Jesus looked out on the people, as Jesus mixed with the people, one of the most insightful observations he made in Mark 6.34 was that people were like sheep without a shepherd. That was one of Jesus' greatest concerns for people, was that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so his vision for the work that he was going to do amongst the people was not just a personal work of leading them into relationship with God so that they could say, the Lord is my shepherd. But it was also a development of leaders who would shepherd those sheep and who would be humble shepherds of the flock, serving with the integrity that David talks about. Serving in such a way that these young believers would grow in the faith and would become disciples of Christ. And this is the vision that Peter shares with us in 1 Peter chapter 5. This vision, of course, has its origins in his relationship with Jesus and what he learned from Jesus. But it's only now as an older man that he can say with real integrity, I call you to be Humble shepherds of the flock. And that's what we're going to think about just for a few minutes this evening. I want to show you a short video clip. Um, During the the summer back at our church, uh, I preached through a series of sermons on the Psalms. And um, in my research, I came across this 
video. Asking myself in my own. When I first came across that research, I honestly thought it was an April Fool's joke. I thought this can't be true, but it is. It's a piece of academic research done by Cambridge University into trying to find a cure for Huntingdon's disease. We know from the way that Middle Eastern shepherds work that shepherds name their sheep and that sheep can recognize the voice of their shepherd. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 3, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Physical shepherds did that as well as Jesus of his sheep. But we now also know that sheep not only recognize the voice of their shepherd, but they also, as the research showed, recognize the face of their shepherd. We hear a lot today about facial recognition technology. But when the Bible talks about God's face, it's not talking about being confronted by a human face. It's talking about being confronted by the reality of God's character. Sheep will follow their shepherd when they recognize his face and they recognize his voice. That is, when they understand the true nature of his character, and that leads them to respond to the voice of his 
word. Humble shepherds. I want to suggest to you that to be a humble shepherd, as Peter calls us to here, is not so much about the things that we do as leaders, but about, in the words of verse 3 in this passage, the examples that we are. And that that relationship between a shepherd and the chief shepherd, as verse 4 describes, is fundamental to that. You see, to use this word humility, humility is an elusive quality. Humility is not about what you do. You see, if you think you're humble, then you can be sure you're not. And if you don't think you're humble, you can be sure you are. That's the paradox of humility. Humility is not about what we do. True humility can only be understood in the context of our relationship with God. True humility is seeing God's face and recognizing his character and recognizing, actually, I'm quite different. True humility is listening to God's voice and hearing God's voice and and recognizing, actually, he's calling me to live a different way. Humble shepherds are people who demonstrate the character of God and who live out the voice of God in their lives. And that is when sheep will follow. If you were making a list of the most important characteristics of leadership, humility probably wouldn't be at the top, especially in our culture today. But herein lies the difference in the leadership that Peter envisages in the church in 1 Peter 5. The leadership Peter envisages is rooted in God's character and God's word. And only when we live in the light of God's character and God's word can we understand what it means to be humble shepherds of the flock. We sung at the beginning about a servant king, a king who came to serve. In verse 2, Peter says, Overseer's main role is to serve and to care. That is, to demonstrate humility. Now remember who's writing these words. Peter. Peter. Was Peter always a man who was a humble shepherd? Well, back in his earlier days, no. Earlier in the year, again, we preached through Mark's Gospel. It's fascinating because Mark's Gospel is based on the witness, eyewitness accounts of Peter. It's fascinating to contrast some of those things with his epistle. And when you look at Peter in the Gospels, Peter wasn't a humble shepherd of the flock. Peter had the privilege of being part of the inner circle. He saw Jesus face to face every day. Peter had the privilege of sitting at the feet of Jesus, of hearing him teach every day. But did that make him humble? Not immediately, no. This was the guy who, when little children came along, said, shh, get rid of them, get rid of them. Got no time for them. This was the guy who was wounding up the long way, said, do you want me to call fire from heaven down on them? This is the one who, even though it is not recorded because James and John got in before him, was annoyed that he wouldn't get the best place at Jesus' right hand in the kingdom. Despite seeing Jesus' face and hearing Jesus' word, 
Peter didn't understand at that point what it meant to be a humble shepherd of the flock. So what was it that brought him so that with all integrity, he could say here in chapter 5, verse 1, I appeal to you to be a humble shepherd of the flock. He couldn't say that with any integrity as he was back in the times of the Gospels. Something must have happened to change him. Well, the clue is found in John chapter 21. We won't go back and read that. Let me just summarize it. Remember, after the humiliation and failure of the denial of Jesus, Peter, in John 21, has this extraordinary intimate encounter with the risen Christ on the Sea of Galilee. And as Peter is restored and forgiven by Jesus, the challenge about what this is now going to mean for him in the future becomes very real. And it's brought home in terms of his relationship with God. Remember those three questions Jesus asked him? Do you truly love me, Peter? Really, Peter, are you sure you love me? Peter, do you love me? And then those three responses that Jesus makes when Peter confirms his commitment. Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is looking at Peter and he's saying, Peter, you are not going to be that proud, arrogant, loud-mouthed, self-appointed leader you used to be. From now on, even though you have experienced failure and humiliation, in fact, that failure and humiliation is going to be the very basis on which you are going to, from now on to be a humble shepherd of my flock. Let me just earth that in our own lives just for the last few minutes. You see, I don't know about you, but for many years I struggled with this idea of leadership. As a a quietly spoken, reserved introvert, I wondered if I could ever be a leader. But of course, that was based on a wrong view of leadership and what leadership means in a local church. But I still struggled with it. And now as I have a role of leadership training, both in a local church and further afield through the mission organization I work with, I've kind of learned a little bit about what this means through my own experience. And let me just share two simple things with you uh, to draw this together. And the two things are on the handout. First of all, can I just say this? The passage begins by saying to the elders among you. Some of you might at that point switch off and say, well, I'm not an elder, so this doesn't apply to me. In fact, I have no desire to be an elder. I could never, ever be one. So why should I listen to this passage? Well, I think we should listen to this passage because I think we should all imagine in what sense we could be leaders within the church because leadership works at all sorts of different levels now some people say a lack of experience a lack of education still struggling with issues in their lives bars them from leadership now don't get me wrong to be an elder to be a leader in a local church has high qualifications the bar is very high and i'm not suggesting we should lower those but i'm talking about people who we begin to prepare for leadership in the future Maybe young people. Maybe inexperienced Christians. 
You see, two years ago, we hit a crisis in our leadership in our church. And the crisis was this. It wasn't that we didn't have enough leaders. It was really that we didn't have enough leaders who brought this quality that was needed to be humble shepherds of the flock. And I was tasked with the job of trying to work out what to do in response to this. And there are two things that I felt we needed to do, and they're here on the handout. The first was this. I felt we needed to redefine leadership in the light of failure. And so I changed the definition of leadership that we used in church. And this is how I defined leadership to my people. To those people who said, I could never be a leader. To those people who said, I haven't got the biblical qualifications. To those people who said, I don't know enough. To those people who said, I've got too many problems in my life. I redefined leadership like this. I said, leaders are people who have an influence for Christ where they are. And that is our working definition of leadership is leaders are people who are being an influence for Christ where they are. They're not people who've got leader labeled on their heads. They're people who in their workplace are having an influence for Christ. They may not be the boss, they may not be the team leader, but they're having an influence for Christ in their place of work. Leaders are parents in their home who are having an influence in their children and young people's lives for Christ. And they're leading the home into a deeper relationship with Christ. Leaders are those people who are involved in voluntary work in our community and are taking the influence of Christ out into those situations and having an influence for Christ there. The first step of leadership was not to put a label on people and say, you are now a leader. The first step of leadership was to remind people that they are called to be influencers for Christ wherever they are. What did that mean? Well, it meant what Peter says here. It meant that when people were around them, people felt cared for. That when people were around them, people felt listened to. When people were around them, people felt respected, even if they disagreed. When people were around them, they felt they were being treated as an equal, not being looked down upon. When people were around them, they didn't feel they were being bossed around and forced into doing things they didn't want to do. But they felt they were being encouraged. When people were around them, they felt, people felt that they were the most important person because they were being served. And that is how Peter defines leadership in this passage. Those are the words that he uses. Words like care, words like service, words like being examples. And when we redefine leadership as a servant, when we redefine leadership in terms of humility, how might that change leadership, not just in our local church, how could it change leadership in our places of work, in our homes, in our communities. Leaders are people who have influence where they are, who serve, who care, who look after people right where they are. And here's the second thing about leadership that I had to learn, was that leadership involves re-establishing a relationship in the light of forgiveness. One of the things I noticed about some of our leaders was Their output was exceeding their input. Do you know what I mean? Their output was exceeding their input. 
They were defining leadership in terms of what they did rather than the people they were called to be. Specifically, the input of God's character and God's word into their lives was not sufficient to enable them to be the humble shepherds that we wanted them to be in their leadership of ministry. We coined the phrase a leadership deficit. There was a leadership deficit. Leadership deficit, you can see it all around in our world today. It's the deficit between words and actions. The deficit between words and character. The deficit between the private and the public life. And in the church, that the deficit happens when people are not the sheep who are seeking God's face, are not the sheep who are listening to God's voice, but are leading in other ways. And that's what Peter shows us in these verses. Do you notice what he says in verse 1? He says he describes himself as a witness of Christ's sufferings. He didn't, didn't just mean he saw Jesus die on the cross. It means as a witness he is speaking about Christ's suffering. He's experiencing Christ's suffering himself. He knew what it was like to suffer as a leader. And he could say to people, look, I'm not doing this for what I get out of it. I'm doing it even in the face of the suffering that it is bringing into my life as a consequence of my relationship with Christ. And then in verse 4, he talks about his relationship with the chief shepherd. As a younger man, Peter resisted the idea of suffering being the way to glory. He tried to dissuade Jesus from going to the cross. We all know that that led to fear and humiliation in Peter's life. But now, he says, I'm a witness of Christ's suffering. That is, I didn't just watch him die on the cross. I am a witness. I have experienced the work of his suffering in my life. And I am prepared to suffer for him in my leadership now. And Peter's relationship with the Lord had become so close that he didn't shirk away from that suffering. But rather saw it as preparing him for the glory that was to come when he saw Christ face to face. Peter has learned what it means to be a humble shepherd of the flock. By reimagining what leadership is. It's not lording it over people, it's serving humbly. And by remembering that the crucial relationship in leadership in the church is that we have experienced the sufferings of Christ both in terms of our salvation, but even in terms of our service of leadership. One of the things that I've discovered as a pastor is that when you walk with, when you walk with people through suffering, I'm not there to make it better for them. I am there to help them to understand the character of God and the word of God more deeply and more profoundly in their experience. That is, I am there to reveal to them the face of God, his character, and the voice of God, his word, so that they may grow in their relationship with Christ and that through him they may see that he will walk with them through that suffering. Well, there's so much more we could say about this passage, but hey, we need to spend a few minutes at least 
thinking about this around the table. So I've just put three simple questions there. You might not have time to cover all three. I suggest you start with the first one and see how you go from there. Think about humility. What does it mean to be a humble leader where you are right now? Just think about your different scenarios. How can you exercise that humble leadership where you are right now? How can you be an influencer for Christ where you are right now? And that kind of leads on, sorry, question two really comes out of that as well. And, uh, and then just if you get time, maybe just think about what are those leadership deficits that we can experience in church life perhaps particularly. So maybe just have uh, five minutes, five minutes just having a chat about those things and then we'll move on to the next bit of the service. Great, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the discussion.